I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. It's National Allotment Week. What started as a way of showcasing the benefits allotments can provide for our health and communities has grown and flourished over the past decades and culminated in this week's celebration. My own allotments provided so much joy in my life and without it, I feel like I might have lost my marbles. It's been a place of joy, celebration, parties, community, but also solace too. And it's got me through some really tough times in the past couple of years. So in today's episode, we wanted to provide you with a well-earned break. Whether you've been working hard all year on your allotment, balcony, garden or small holding, we'll be chatting with Mark Diacono, food writer, grower and cook, about the joys of harvest season and one particular fruit tree that you'll be wanting to plant in your own garden. And if you've discovered that you're sharing the fruits of your labours with some tiny white maggots, my fellow presenter and horticulture whiz Guy Barter will be joining me to issue a few words of advice on how to avoid the dreaded spotted wing drosophila before finally sitting down with gardener and journalist Alice Fowler to talk about harvesting produce you haven't even grown yourself. That's right, we're talking about foraging. It's time to find a spot in the shade to enjoy the show from. Welcome to Gardening with the RHS with me, Gareth Richards. If you're anything like me, you'll find putting the trowel down for a few extra days this August to be particularly challenging. Sitting back to enjoy the fruits of our labour can be tougher than it seems. There's always a weed to pull or a little branch to snip, but having a bounty of your homegrown fruit and veg is one of the delights of having your own garden. Summer into autumn is a time where a lot of the gambles you took, a lot of the things you bought maybe, you know, September, October last year are starting to pay off. Things that you sowed and wondered if they get past the frost, if it was too cold, you potted them on and the slugs haven't got them. So this really, I think, is a time when there's not necessarily a whole ton to do in the garden, but we should just get out there and sit in it. You know, enjoy the the fluky stuff, the things that worked even if we did it wrong, the things that worked if we did it right, taking those little picks of things as we go. And then, of course, sometimes you just get into a great harvest. There's plenty of fruit around at the moment, lots of really wonderful raspberries. The mulberries are just thinking about ripening really well. Although, you know, people pick them too early. You've got to let you leave and leave and leave and wait until they're virtually ready to fall off the tree and the flavour is just incredible. It feels like a kind of glorious payoff. As much as I love the whole thing of, crikey, it works every spring and when spring returns, I'm still surprised. It's, I love the thing of just enjoying what's there. I'm Mark Diakon. I'm a food writer. I'm a garden writer. I spend all my time 
growing or cooking or eating or writing about all of those things with the occasional walk thrown in. Apricots are one of the things that I'm really, really chuffed about this year because, you know, it's been a blindingly hot year and I've got a couple of apricot trees and they're only little dwarf ones. You know, this is the great thing about getting into this and nosing around is you can find lots of things that will work in a small space. So I've got a couple of dwarf trees. They don't get bigger than about 1.6 metres. So you could have one just on a balcony or out by the back door. And that's exactly where I've got them. Of the kind of marginal fruit, they may be the ones that are best ones to go for. And just having a sea of those is really extraordinary. They're kind of rich, succulent without being kind of, they're not peach juicy, if you know what I mean, but they're so, so good. If you want to grow an apricot tree, it's much simpler than you might think. The key bits really are well-drained, but plenty of water. Lots and lots of sunshine. Put them in the sunniest spot you've got. They love to have shelter. It's the flowers more than anything that need the shelter. You know, you don't want them being blown around by cold winds in spring. So give them all of that is really important, okay? Feed your tree. As soon as it's coming into leaf, I would start feeding the tree. Usually I would go for a nice kind of balanced liquid feed, really easy to apply. If you want to spray it onto the leaves, that's totally cool too, because they'll soak it in through the leaves as well as watering actually into the compost. If you've got any limitations on space, I would get one of the dwarf apricots. Now, they're not just kind of on a dwarfing rootstock, they're on a proper genetically dwarfing apricot. So they won't get any bigger than about 1.6 metres. You can take it with you if you're renting, you can shift it to your new home. At any time you want, you can plant it into the ground. It will grow perfectly happy there. Just keep a nice sized pot. So you might have to push it up a size every year or so until it's kind of nicely established. If you do all of those things, give it sunshine, plenty of water, feed it while it's growing and especially while it's flowering and fruiting. It will give you apricots maybe from year three, and it will be surprisingly abundant. Even this small tree will give you dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of fruit. And it's a real pleasure. I mean, they're just easy as you like. They don't get leaf curl like peaches and nectarines do. So again, you're limiting the amount of uh, disease exposure that you're giving yourself. And really one of the great summer fruit. When the harvest comes, I tend to eat them straight from the tree, the majority of apricots straight from the tree because they're just delicious, rich and honeyed. If I make jam, it's very infrequent of anything because I tend to want to plow my way through the fruit. But if I'm going to make a fruit jam, it will be apricot because it takes all of that flavour, that intensity, all the subtlety of the flavour, it takes all of it and parks it right in the jam. You know, some things just lose it and become a wall of sugar with a little backbeat of the flavour. This Apricot jam, if you do it right, is really intense, really rich, and it takes that flavour of summer when you can enjoy it right the way through the winter. If I've got an absolute glut, I might just gently poach them a little bit with a very weak kind of sugary syrup. You know, enjoying them for breakfast and stuff is just a wonderful thing. I do as little to them as I possibly can as a rule because they're just so special and they've got so much subtlety to that gorgeous fruitiness. One thing I would say to anyone listening is... If you're anything like me, you spend your days or your hours, your snatched quarter of an hour here and there, hard at work in the garden, maybe doing the weeding, all of which I love, all of which is perfectly enjoyable. But what I would say is, while we're having harvest time, you know, while things are coming into the picking season, don't forget to kick back a little bit. Just be in your garden, just relax in it. Pick stuff as you go. This is the bit where it all pays off. I tend to move a seat, a chair, wherever things are going really well in terms of harvesting, just so I can maybe even read a book there or have a glass of something. Because being in our garden is maybe the most important thing. 
thanks, Mark. I know from experience working abroad that a fresh apricot off the tree is just an absolutely wonderful thing. And UK grown ones are starting to be sold in supermarkets now, which I think is a real kind of sign that it's not just a curiosity that's really, really hard work. It's actually something you genuinely can grow in our climate. And the exciting thing about apricots is there are lots and lots of different varieties. There are some that have been bred for cooler climate, tomcot, which grow really well in Britain, and they've also been hybridised with plums. So you have this whole different kind of spectrum of these different hybrid fruits with different amounts of plum and different amounts of apricot in them. I grew one called a miracot, which is about 50-50 between a mirabelle plum and an apricot, and they were absolutely delicious, really, really worth growing. If you're newly inspired to get your very own fruit tree, that may make a certain flying insect very happy. Unlike most other vinegar flies, the spotted winged Drosophila can damage otherwise unblemished soft and stone fruit from strawberries to plums and yes, even apricots. But thankfully, the RHS chief horticulturist and my co-presenter, Guy Barter, sat us down to give us all the necessary advice to ensure that we aren't sharing too much of our harvest with the Drosophila suzukii. We all know fruit flies. They're the things that fly around when you leave a pear to go overripe, for example, in the kitchen, and you have to throw it out, and these horrid little things are left whizzing around. They're fruit flies, also known as vinegar flies. But there's one of these flies that's actually a bit of a nuisance in the garden. It's called the spotted wing Drosophila, and it's a fruit fly that first reported in Britain in 2012. This fruit fly actually comes from the Far East. With the transport of food around the world, this spotted wing Drosophila has turned up first of all in the United States, then in Europe, and then in 2012 it arrived in Britain. Unlike the average fruit fly, which is completely harmless, the spotted wing Drosophila is a bit of a menace. The females have got a serrated kind of saw on their backsides, and this saw is to cut little holes in soft fruit into which she lays her eggs. And the eggs hatch into tiny little maggots, and they cause the fruit to degrade and to eventually rot. And it's an absolute menace in some countries. We've been lucky in Britain so far, because it mainly seems to cause damage mainly on cherries. My Morello cherries are often badly affected, but I protect them by using the plastic bags that the loaves of bread come in as a kind of sleeve to pop them over the fruit, and then I can gather a few kilos of unaffected uh, fruits. Originally, we thought it was going to be a disaster because these uh, spotted wing Drosophilas can feed on all sorts of fruit, and they can feed on raspberries, strawberries, black currants, currants, blueberries, grapes, cherries, plums. They can even feed on the hedgerow fruits like hawthorns and the berries of mountain ash. But fortunately, they don't seem to cause that much damage, but that course could change. So this is a pest to look out for and the way to keep it down is not to leave any fruit to rot in the garden. If you have a load of plums that fall on the ground, sweep them up and bury them or put them in a plastic bag to rot down and kill all the spotted wing Drosophila and then you can keep the numbers down. If you're unlucky enough to have problems you can buy traps that can trap the insect and they can be quite effective on a small scale in the garden. You can apply pesticides to the fruit, but of course, who wants to apply insecticides to fruit you're going to be eating very shortly, so that isn't really an option, I think, for most gardeners. 
I love soft fruit and I grow an awful lot and a spotted wing drosophila is not going to stop me and fortunately it only attacks my sour cherries and I've discovered the plastic bag trick to protect the fruit so I'm looking forward to years of soft fruit and cherries without too much trouble from the spotted wing drosophila. So would I consider spotted wing drosophila to be a pest? Would I say the dreaded P word? Spotted wing drosophila is a case where an insect is part of the natural environment in a garden and all insects and other living organisms in a garden work together to form a kind of garden ecosystem. And within this garden ecosystem, the spotted wing drosophila can escape from control by its many natural enemies and cause some damage. But unknown to us, behind the scenes, there's almost certainly a great number of other insects that prey on the spotted wing drosophila. Birds no doubt take it. I've seen spiders capture it and there's diseases as well that will affect it. So as in any garden problem, you're always trying to manage it. So we tend not to think of these things as pests anymore, but more as part of the ecosystem that we're trying to manage and push in the direction of minimal damage to our crops without harming the environment. So keep an eye out for the spotted wing drosophila. Have your magnifying glass handy. And if you want to know more, there's an RHS web profile on this. But uh, don't spend too much time on it. Enjoy topping and tailing all those black currants and other fruit ready to make your jellies, jams and ice cream. Thanks, Guy. I know spotted wing drosophila all too well because there's a really big patch of brambles outside the back of my allotment. And of course, not all the brambles get picked. There's quite a lot of fallen fruit, so we tend to suffer quite badly from them. And yes, I have a Morello cherry tree that seems to get quite hammered by them. I think it's really, really important to try lots and lots of different varieties of things because that way you discover what you like and you can get something past the garden wildlife that might want to share them. So for example, on my allotment, quite often some of my summer raspberries will get a bit of spotted wing drosophila, but the autumn ones don't get it. So, you know, it's all about kind of accepting that we are just part of nature and sharing some of our produce with nature is inevitable. Most of us grow more than we can ever eat anyway. So actually the fact that we lose a few bits to other hungry mouths, I don't think is the end of the world. Now, if perhaps you've made a few gardening mishaps or the harvest season isn't rendering you buckets of bright red tomatoes, or like our next expert, you're moving house, so you're going to be missing out on plucking your freshly sprouting beans and peas. Well, chin up, there's still a whole world out there of free and delicious produce fresh for the picking. It's a bit of a heartache because I'm actually leaving my garden in Birmingham after 16 years and I'm moving to Wales. And that's really exciting because I want to be by the sea, but it means I'm leaving both my allotment and my garden, and it at no point did it occur to me to not continue to grow. So in spring, I sort of set off, even though I knew I wouldn't be here this autumn. So I'm handing over my allotment to my dear friend Pip. And actually, it kind of brings me great joy because she will go to the allotment and there will be loads of pumpkins and courgettes and apples and tomatoes and cucumbers and hundreds and hundreds of beans for drying, for whole beans. So there's just huge towers of beans everywhere. So I'm not going to see any of these things, but Pitbull. And that's actually been a really lovely gesture, but a funny one. My name is Alice Fowler, and I am a gardener and a writer and a passionate forager, which is what I'd like to talk to you today about. 
if the only thing you forage this autumn is blackberries, I still think it's important to do it because particularly if you live in a city, it teaches you something about your local environment. You will quite quickly find if you're eating blackberries that there is a vast difference between them. Blackberries are an aggregate group, so there's many, many different kind of forms of blackberries within the species. I think there's something like 118 or something. And some of them taste delicious and some of them have got really big seeds and some of them look like they taste delicious but taste quite watery. And you have to go and find your blackberry within that group. And the only way you can do that is by going out and trying as many as possible. And in the act of doing this thing of finding your blackberry, you will find your bit of the park that matters to you. Once you have found your damson or your blackberry or your, your mahonia, you will protect that bit of the park fiercely because you have a relationship with it, because it has another layer of meaning to you, because you will have memories about making jam with your friends or in the middle of January when you're not going to that corner of the park, you'll take out a pot of jam and spread it on your toast and you will think about it. And these things are really important. We protect and look after and care for things that we have stories and meaning. And one of the ways of making stories and meaning is by eating, because that's such a huge part of how we make community. And so foraging is one of those acts that ties together all these threads of ideas and community and togetherness. And that can only happen by actively doing it. You can't think about foraging. You have to actually go and do it for it to have meaning. So I really urge people to go and find those little corners and see if there's anything in them. I would love to talk to you now about a jam that you can pretty much only get by foraging, which is Oregon grape jam or Mahonia jam. If you've tried all the obvious jams, like blackberry and apple and damson and raspberry, then you should have a go at trying to find an Oregon grape. So this is essentially looking for a Mahonia species. And they have these wonderful dark purple berries. They are not large, but they are dripping in them. So there's a long racemé full of them. They're the size of a raisin, say, but imagine that plump and this dark purple. And then the Mahonia is that classic kind of municipal plant that you always find in parks and around car parks and stuff like that. It's got spiky, dark green, evergreen leaves. And in spring, it has those incredible kind of acid yellow flowers, often smell really strong. So the most common one to see planted is Mahonia charity. And it's one of those early, like late winter, early spring flowering things, which has these intensely sweet smelling yellow flowers, hundreds of them. And then around about now, they're followed by these berries. They're incredibly sour. So if you eat them raw, you'll think, what is this about? These are, you'll spit them out. They'll just be like so sour but the magic of sugar and because they're quite high in pectin they make this really fantastic jelly it's the same color as a kind of blackberry jelly but the flavor is just very intense and beautiful and it, it, a really good color it looks like a sort of jewel when you hold it up to the light and it's a wonderful jam and if you have them planted around your car park or your or your park because that's the kind of place where they put them. They always put them because they're spiky plants. They always put them in places where they don't want people to kind of walk through and stuff like that. So that's where you have to keep an eye out for them. Then you'll find that there's lots of them. So you can make good quantities of jam. 
So the classic thing is it makes a really good PBJ, so peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's like a classic American kind of jelly, really. So it's really good on things like that. But toast, it's really good in porridge. I mean, wherever you would use jam, it works well in cakes. It's more of a jelly because you're going to strain it. It has tiny little pips. And so you get this beautiful jelly. But if you don't go too heavy on the sugar, it's actually a very nice kind of jelly to eat with cooked meats as well. So it has many uses. Thanks, Alice. I haven't tried Oregon grape jam, but I have tried Oregon grapes. They are pretty tart, but I can see that actually when you release their flavours with sugar, they have a really kind of interesting, complex flavour. And it's supposed to be really, really good for you. Having the more plants you can have in your diet, the healthier you will be, the healthier your microbiome will be. And this is something that seems to be quite current in health research at the moment. But obviously there's a word of caution. So if you're pregnant or nursing or have underlying health conditions, always check with your doctor before adding new wild foods to your diet. And of course, do it gradually. Don't eat pounds of something new. Find out if you have a reaction to it. And of course, always be 100% sure of what you're eating. My partner's going to laugh because my favourite foraging activity is picking blackberries and my favourite thing to do to them is make blackberry gin, which is brilliant because unlike slow gin, it's ready for Christmas, which is quite handy for uh, your Christmas tipple or some uh, homemade Christmas presents. Well, I hope you've been able to harvest some inspiration from today's show. I'm going to be making time this week to really enjoy the fruits of my labour because it's so easy to be kind of on this gardening treadmill of what you've got to do and then actually forget to pick it and remember the reason you're growing it to take time to enjoy it because summer days are short let's make the most of them so for me gareth richards adios I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Crest robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Crest Robotic Lawn Mower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets and you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.